What's going on, guys? This is Justin with the Dig Bible Podcast. I wanted to wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. Uh, it's probably been about a month now since we recorded with Doug, but as we was making our schedule out, we got to thinking, what better episode to air right before Christmas than the angel of the Lord, how Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Now, I was familiar with the Christophanies of the Old Testament, but once we sat down with Doug, there was just so many mind-blowing things that I just overlooked or was just ignorant about. So, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this show, especially right before Christmas, and I hope you read your Bible a whole new way and appreciate it. But we thank you guys for listening to our show. Our show would not be possible without you guys tuning in every week, so we really appreciate that. And it's uh, hard to believe our first season is coming to an end. We got one more episode left for this season. I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. But uh, that's enough for me. But we wish you guys a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And enjoy the show, guys. We should read our Bibles as men digging for buried treasure. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of peoples according to the number of the sons of God. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but yet expose them. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Life's a garden, man. You gotta dig it. Hello, fellow treasure hunters. Welcome to the excavation side. I'm Justin. Alongside me, we got Ben, Stephen, and Chad. We'll be your guides on this excursion. Hope you brought your shovel and your compass, because we got the map. Let's dig. What's going on, all my local guys and gals and long-distance pals? We're back. What's going on, guys? We're back. We're back. It's nice to have you back, Ben. You were a little under the weather. Yeah, I've been sick, yeah. So I'm glad you're bouncing back. You probably had variant double X or something. Who knows? Oh, probably. But we'll we'll get It's like sinus stuff. You still sound a little raspy. Yeah. (laughs) Even deeper than normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we should probably record the toolbox talks things again oh yeah his voice right now (laughs) yeah but uh how you guys doing it's been good just uh working a lot man about this weather i'm november i know like 80 i know that's insane (laughs) it's supposed to like be 28 this weekend or something that's how you know mother nature is a woman she can't make her mind up (laughs) there you go (laughs) all right well uh, whose turn is it to open up in prayer I'll go ahead. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for every blessing you've given us and and you've bestowed on us. We do not deserve everything you've given us, but yet you continually bless us, and we appreciate that. Lord, please help anything that comes out of this show, this this podcast, everything we do, uh, help it glorify you. Help us reach somebody that needs to hear your word and help us continue to, to strengthen our own faith as well as anybody out there who who takes the time to listen and in your name we pray amen hey 
Let's let's introduce who we got here. Yeah, let's introduce our <laughs> guest we got. Uh, well, today uh, we got a, a pastor with us from uh, the Reformed Baptist Church of Northern Colorado. Uh, he's the co-host of Iron and Myth with Derek Gilbert, Judd Burton, and Brian Gadawa. Uh, he's uh, author of uh, Giant Sons of God, Water of Creation, Galatians, Covenant Theology, Christ in the Old Testament. He also wrote the Q&A companion for Mike Kaiser's Unseen Realm, Five Solas of Reformation, Conspiracy Theory, and Angel of the Lord. So uh, another uh, great guest that we're happy to have on the show with us today, uh, Doug Van Dorn. How you doing, Doug? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Good to be with you. That's awesome. On top of that, you have edited, I can't tell you how many other, you know, been part of many other writings as well other books other articles as well i mean there's just so much uh, material and so much knowledge there and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that a little bit tonight we really want to open you up and kind of let you go well i'll do what i can do <laughs> we'll see how it goes <laughs> what's the thing i like about uh you know with doug is he's uh in the same line of thinking like we are you know into the the giants and, and the fallen angels and, and the, the stuff that uh, the church sees is, is weird and, and wants to avoid. So it's, it's really nice and refreshing to, to have a pastor mm-hmm. that is actually talking about these things and teaching these things. So we are definitely thankful for that. Uh, but one of the things we want to dive in today was we've talked about it a little bit in our show, but is the whole, you know, the angel of the Lord and the Christophanies and all the times that uh, you know Jesus pops up in the Old Testament, can you go into a little bit about your book and uh, your findings with that? Uh, sure. Well, um, so I wrote this book with a uh, co-pastor in our um, network of churches, a guy named Matt Foreman, and I had been thinking about this subject, I suppose, since uh, Dr. Heiser's. Um, myth that is true which is kind of an early version of his unseen realm um was out on the internet for free he was giving it out for all of his little fan fan club (laughs) that he had because he used to go on coast to coast am and um so that's kind of where i've i started really devouring uh, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with supernatural but um two things struck out to me the most in that book and one was on the giants that i hadn't done a whole lot of studying on and so i ended up i ended up writing a book on that just really mostly to help myself understand what that subject was about and then um the other one was really on this this angel the lord idea who is this person and and i I think that i had already probably a theological framework to know who he was um probably would have said that it was christ the old testament but i didn't have anywhere near the um, tools to be able to explain that is what he really gives kind of a short version of in his unseen realm. And so I started talking about this with my buddy, Matt, and and uh, took a while to kind of convince him about some of the things like the word and the glory and the face and stuff that we might we might talk about if you guys want to get into that today. But once... You know, once he was convinced, he's like, man, we got to write a book about this. And we we discovered that there really hadn't been a major, like a major work only on the angel of the Lord in hundreds of years in the church. Um, really, the last one that I was able to find was from a guy named Peter Alex. 
it was an old Puritan um, writing early 1700s. So this is 300 years ago that he wrote this book. And that's really the last major work that's just solely dedicated to him that, that I could find. Now, there's been a lot of more modern stuff that he's maybe a secondary thing or a chapter in a book, maybe two or three chapters in a book. But as far as the major study, that's what we wanted to do was to bring that back into the main way of thinking and have it be something that people really understand is super duper important something that needs to be talked about i mean we're talking about christ here and and the second person of the trinity and you know so many times uh growing up i had had people talk to me supposedly conservative christians evangelicals you know talking about how they believe they really love the jesus god of the new testament but they can't stand that old mean harsh god of the old testament and um you know, that really always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't believe in two gods, first of all. I believe in one one God <laughs> and who who is in more than one person. You know, that's basic Trinitarian theology. But when I started realizing and putting the dots together that that the same person that gives the Sermon on the Mount to the disciples that everybody loves in Matthew 5, he's the same person that literally spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This splitting up of who Jesus is, who God is, nice God, mean God, all that kind of stuff. This subject of the angel of the Lord really bridges that and and keeps people from going down what I think are some really dangerous, bad theological paths. Yeah, I I tell you, I agree with you 100 percent, but I I think that it's really important. I think a lot of people, you know, we've focused on a bunch of different subjects from this and we've touched on this to some degree, but I think that this is something that really we need to dive into because a lot of people don't understand, you know, we think of Jesus in the new Testament context in the gospels. That's what we think of Jesus. You know, it's, or, or maybe in the prophecies of Isaiah or something of that, we think of this, they're talking about Jesus, but that is such a, a, a view that, Majority of Christians, you know, they believe, and, and we talk about the Heiser, you know, obviously that's what we're founded in as far as this podcast goes in that supernatural worldview, but we talk about Jesus in that New Testament, you know, he came, he he died for us, and that's great, and that's it's all packaged into one small package, but when we can see that Jesus is involved throughout the whole Bible, when Jesus is there, granted he's not called Jesus at that time, that was his human name. But when Jesus is there and we see that, I think it's so cool. And I want to read one verse real quick and because and, it starts right away in Genesis, right? It starts, I have Genesis 16, 7 through 10 right here. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar behind a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I, emphasis, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So seeing a little bit there, I mean, this is already in Genesis and seeing it showing the angel of the Lord and then saying, I, the angel of the Lord, am going to give you those descendants. Angels don't give, angels aren't the ones that make those calls, right? Oh, absolutely. 100%. So I um, think I think it's important that we just kind of 
start on this and you show show a few examples as we go through the New Testament where Jesus jumps in, even though we don't know him as Jesus at that time yet. Well, yeah, let me let me just uh, let's just jump in right at that point. OK, so if you go to Jude, uh, look right before Revelation, tiny little letter, Jesus's half brother. And you go to the fifth verse. This is what it says. I'll read the uh, read the NIV. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Well, now let me read it in the ESV. Now I want to remind you, although you once knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. <laughs> First time I read this in the ESV, I like... Um, I about got blown off my seat because the only translations that I had ever um, read before all said Lord, and the ESV says Jesus. So you're making this point that he's not called Jesus, and technically, I get that he's actually called the angel of the Lord. But here we have Jesus's half brother saying that Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and so you have to account for. Why does what's going on with the Lord translation? What's going on with the Jesus? So we go back to the earliest Greek manuscripts, and what you find is that there's a there's a a smaller family of the manuscripts that say Lord, and um, when you go and you look into textual criticism, you find that all of the scholars say that Jesus had to have been the original word there, and that what happened was some most likely what happened is that some copyist was going along in this verse and he saw Jesus and he must have thought to himself, well, that can't possibly be right because of what you just said. Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. We don't know him by that name. And so he substituted the word kurios for Jesus, the word Lord, because he's trying to smooth out what he thought was either an error that was already in the text or he just himself couldn't, couldn't believe that it, that it said Jesus. And so he changed it. But I think this is a really, really important and powerful verse because this isn't talking about Joshua. So many might say, well, all right, maybe it's Joshua because the Hebrew um, equivalent of the Greek Jesus is Joshua. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't Joshua who saved the people out of Egypt. It was Moses. Joshua didn't come along until Moses was dead. Mm -hmm. So here we have <laughs> here we have Jesus actually being said to save the people out of Egypt. And then it says afterward destroyed, so same person, those who did not believe. And so that's talking about what's going on in the 40-year uh, wilderness um, and, you know, the different plagues and the temptations and all the things that came along there. So I think that's a, a really interesting kind of entry point into this idea that Christ really is in the Old Testament. And because his name is Jesus there, Yes, as the God-man in the incarnation, you know, who came in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he hadn't been given the name Jesus. But I think what Jude is saying is that the very same person, mm -hmm. the one who's eternally begotten, mm -hmm. the one who is very God of very God, was the one who saved Israel out of Egypt. And this is the same person who incarnated and became my half-brother. Yeah, and I think, too, like when even before then you know when you when you have the creation you know it says and the the spirit of god hovered over the waters 
you know, to me, when I read that with my new glasses, I was like, well, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, and John said, you know, that uh, about the whole, the Word, you know, the Word was God, it was with God, and was there in the beginning. So, right. I mean, you see all three of them right in the very beginning, you know, once you have the eyes to, to see that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of people will go to the uh, let us make man in our image, and they'll try and make that a trin- Trinitarian verse. Yeah. And I think I think Heiser's right that that's actually talking about god speaking to the divine council yeah now indirectly you could get the you could get the trinity there because if the son is part of the council (laughs) and the spirit might even be part of the council we don't know that you could you could do that but really you don't need to go you don't even need to go 28 verses in you just need to go to the first verse and the second verse and the third verse because you have god that's the father and the spirit is hovering and then and god said and that's the word that John picks up on and says is Christ. So that's right. It's a Trinitarian creation in the first three verses. And uh, let's see, I I never even heard of this until, like I said, I mean, it was probably maybe four or five years ago that I'd read Unseen Realm, and then I just started going down this rabbit hole. And then I found, you know, this, you know, this Christophanies, you know, and started looking into it. And then I just started seeing it everywhere. And for me, one of the, like most the most mind blowing ones was when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, and then you know it says that the angel of the Lord showed up and stayed his hand, and it was like to me it was kind of like that was a foreshadowing of Christ at the cross. He had to give up his only begotten son because God was going to have to do the same in the future, and then. Jesus himself shows up, and it's like he, you know, Jesus grabs the knife and it's like, you know, no, Abraham, you don't have to do that. I got you covered in the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's <laughs> such a great picture. And it's actually on the very same mountain that Jesus would end up dying on. So the very same place, 2,000 years earlier, you have this angel of the Lord that Abraham has talked to several times already, so he knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And... um he comes out and he says, now I know that you love me. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so that's similar kinds of stuff with Hagar. It's all first person stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not, well, the, the God, the God of Israel or, you know, somebody else, um, knows this it's, it's, I do. And yet you, you also have the third person in there too. He and I, it's like they're being interchanged and you find this throughout the old Testament. Um, whenever you have more than one person in view. I think that's amazing. That's exactly what I was just going to say, is that you look there and it talks about the angel of the Lord, and it says, for now I know you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So it does. It, I just love seeing that in the text. And, you know, we try to, that's that's our focus that we always have on this show is, is always make sure you back everything up with scripture. I mean, I, I love looking at some of the the um, extra biblical texts. You know, we, we use um, some Enoch or Jubilees or Jasher to kind of just show different different aspects of things. But it's just so cool when you can look at this and and the same stuff you've read before and all of a sudden now it's slapping you in the face after you look at it through that other that other lens and yeah. it just blows me away every time and i want to back up as you always Ooh. say that I, you just do something on me i've never heard before now you said that on the very same mountain yeah mount moriah 
That's, that's a, right. The Mount, Mount Moriah was a was just a term that they used for Mount Zion back in those days. Um, so this is uh, it's wow. it's literally the exact same place that Jesus was crucified on. Wow. You just dumbfounded me. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, so you were talking a little bit about, um, and I think it's good to kind of show those other aspects too. When you were talking about Jesus, when you said like the way or something of that nature, um, kind of elaborate a little bit on that where we're seeing Jesus in the other parts of the text, but we're seeing him described maybe as, as something different. Yeah, so the most obvious place that you find Christ um, in your face in the Old Testament is through this person of the angel of the Lord. And, you know, he shows up throughout Genesis. He shows up to Abraham. He shows up to Isaac. He shows up to Jacob. He shows up to Hagar. Um, Sarah laughs at him. You know, he's he's just there all through the through the text. And you can go on into Exodus with Moses. You can go on into... Uh, um, let's see, judges mm -hmm. with uh, Samson's parents. Um, he shows up a little bit in the Psalms. He's there a lot in Zechariah. So he's there throughout the Old Testament, this this character. Yeah, Samuel. But mm -hmm. Samuel, absolutely. Well, but I don't know if he's actually called, I'm trying to think, is no, he called the angel of the Lord? He's, it's called the, the Word. So, He's called the actually, word, right? In Second so, Samuel, I, ha it, I have a verse that calls him uh, the angel of the Lord. Um, was by the, oh, you're threshing right, right. Floor. the threshing floor. Yeah, with David. Yeah, but with Samuel himself, the the prophet, he's, he's called something else. So, um, this is really what started getting me down this whole track. Was the angel of the Lord is one thing, but when you start start learning about some of these other words, that they're really just um, different ways of describing the same. Um, being, then it just, it starts to blow your mind. Uh, and the, I suppose the place to start because John does is with the word we already talked about, um, you know, Genesis one, three, and God said that that doesn't use the word word, um, specifically, although it will in the Targums, I don't know how familiar you guys guys are with Targums, but Targums are Jewish Aramaic paraphrases of the old Testament. And so uh, in, with Genesis, we have three different versions of them. Um, and so some of them are stick pretty close to the text, and some of them sometimes go on long, rambling bunny trails. And I look at them a lot like you might think of the Message Bible or something like that, where um, the translator is trying to help you understand what it's saying, not necessarily um, give you word-for-word -word translation like most Bibles do. And so sometimes they'll put in um, stories, like they'll put in stories about Og with Abraham, that you're right in the middle of nowhere. You're like, how in the world is Og here? You know, he back with Abraham when he was alive, with when Moses was alive. But that's just Jewish tradition being thrown in. But other times they'll they'll add things that you don't find in the biblical text. And one of those things is the word memra, and memra is the Aramaic word for word. Um, you know, the Greek word for word is logos. And so memra is the Aramaic equivalent of it. And you find this word memra all over the Old Testament in the Targums, probably in every single book of the Old Testament. And scholars have done a lot of work on what the memra is, and they, they talk about it as a kind of a hypostasis, um, which is a fancy way of saying that we, we can't speak about God directly, um, 
as doing these things for a bunch of philosophical reasons that we don't need to get into. Um, but if we talk about one of his powers, like his word, then that'll become okay. And it'll be like a buffer sort of a thing. Well, so it's into this that really we actually find the rise of Christianity, the claims of Christ, the claims of John, him being the word and, and all those kinds of things that Jesus is that buffer between man and God. He's our intercessor. He's the mediator. He is the one begotten of the father, um, the one who is eternal God, but also became man. So he, he's the, he's the chief person by which God used in the, in the new Testament to bridge that gap between the infinite, the finite between holiness and sin and all those kinds of things. But that's all going on beginning in the old Testament and beginning in Genesis. So I bring up the Memra because uh, you find Memra several times in the earliest chapters of Genesis, but you don't even need to go to the Targums you, because we have the same idea in the actual text. And probably one of the best, one of my very favorite passages of all to show people this is Genesis 15, one. Mm -hmm. so this is before Hagar, a chapter or two. And um, very first verses after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And so then they start having this conversation. So it's very clear that Abram calls him um, Lord God. Interesting, he uses Adonai and Yahweh there. Um, Adonai in the Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, is the, is the verse where, where you find two, two gods um, or two lords. David, uh, David is speaking. He goes, the Lord says to my Lord. Um, and Jesus ends up quoting this to the Pharisees. And he goes, how, how, is it that, how is it that David is able to call him Lord when he's his son? And so Jesus is tapping into what is called the two powers text, where there's two Yahwehs or two, two lords. Uh, in that case, it's, it's uh, Adonai and Yahweh. But here we have the same thing. It's just he's not called Lord. He's called the word. So these things, after these things, the word came to, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And what's so bizarre about that? Well, words come to ears. They don't come to eyes. But yet here we have the word coming to your eye. He's in a vision. Mm -hmm. And he, it's right to call him he because he is talking. And Abraham calls him God. And then later uh, it says, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So here we have faith alone in this very chapter. Faith in who? Faith in Christ, the one who's talk, who he's talking to. Um, right at this point, he makes a covenant with Abram. And later on in the early on in the book of Exodus, we find that that uh, Moses is talking about the same person making a covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And who is this? Well, it's not God in his bare essence. It's not even the father. It's the son. It's the word of God, which is what he's called here. And so when John comes along and says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. You know, in seminary and even in Bible school in college, I was told that what John's doing here is he's he's uh, talking to or about a bunch of uh, 
Gnostic heretics that that um, were using this language of the word. And and John's trying to say, look, the word which you guys spiritualize um, became flesh and you guys matters evil and it became he became flesh. And and so they're saying that that John's getting this from like late first century heretics, but he's not. He's getting this from Genesis 15. Mm -hmm. The word of the Lord is the one who came to Abram in a vision. And that is the person that John's talking about. And I, before I stop, I think another thing is worth pointing out here in John's gospel, because he keeps talking. A lot of people miss this. So as you're going through this, you know, he says, he says the word made all things in him is life. He's the light shining in the darkness. Um, and then all of a sudden he says this, he goes, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming in the world, into the world. Then it says he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Then it says he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. And people read this and they go, oh, well, that's talking about Jesus coming in the flesh, human flesh, and he's coming to uh, people like right about the time that, that he's baptized and they're not accepting him. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how he was in the world because he made the world and the world didn't know him because they, they you know, Tower Babel and, and everything after that, they gave up the worship of the true God. Um, he even came to his own people. Who's that? The Jews throughout the Old Testament, they didn't receive him. How many times do we see them rejecting him as their God? You know, when they want to make Samuel their king or Saul their king, what are they doing? They're rejecting Christ as their king who said, that he, I'm your king. I, I live on the Ark of the Covenant. That's my throne. I'm in your midst. They're like, no, we don't want that. We're, we're rejecting you. And so in that part of John, he hasn't even talked about the incarnation yet. He's completely talking about the Old Testament. And then it's not till verse 14 where the famous verse is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only father from the son, full of grace and truth. So there's a lot there to unpack. If you guys want to talk about that, but. Oh, yeah. That was the cap on it, though, that last, the way you said, and the word became flesh right there. I mean, that just is kind of the key that unlocks that, kind of exactly what you're talking about. It, it it shows when they said the word, it's talking about Jesus. I mean, that's it's it's just so obvious there. And it just, I guess it kind of irritates me in a way that I've <laughs> always read the Bible and, you know, and, and been taught throughout time, you know, just to kind of, well, if you don't understand it, just gloss over it and go to the next part. You know, gloss over it and go to the next part. Like we, we, it'll come to. We've you, so, we've yeah. left we've left so much on the table as as a the majority and and I like like Justin said earlier, I appreciate so much that you're a pastor that sees the truth in a way because I actually was just talking to my cousin the other day who just started listening to our show and and. She got Heiser's book and was reading Unseen Realm, and she went to her pastor, and he says, that's not real, and walked away from her. And I'm like, yeah. They this make this is, up to sell books. I've is, heard that, too. Yes, this is the stuff that we're dealing with. This is the the the, the principalities that, that, are, that are still having power, that are still hiding the truth, that are still cloaking the eyes of us, us Christians as a whole so that we don't see the full truth. We don't see everything the Bible has to show us. We, there's so much more there. And I don't know if you've seen that the newest, um, 
I remember watching the old ones, the Left Behind movies. Did you ever watch those old Left Behind movies? Uh, I think I've seen one of them. Maybe. They terrified the crap out of me as a kid. Oh, sure. But the newer ones with Kirk Cameron were, were really a little, little more uh, G-rated than the, than the old ones were. The old ones, were, I mean, they were meant to scare you. But they had one thing, and my dad always said it. He said he loved it so much. As he, Satan comes in, and he's following this guy, and, there, and he looks down, the guy looks down on the table, and there's a gun and there's a Bible. And the guy picks up the gun and leaves and Satan says, good, he's totally unarmed. And I think that's <laughs> such a good way to look at it for us. You know, we, we fight not against flesh and blood, right? We have to fill ourselves with this word. It's right in front of us. And if we don't even understand the word, <laughs> we're in trouble. I think that's just yeah. a, a good way of looking say, at it. I'll say a couple of things about that because they're great points. Uh, first one is that my experience has been that people, especially conservative Christians, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're biblical. We love the Bible. We love God's word, but we don't, you know, it's like, it's like anybody when you're in a fish bowl and you're and you're a fish and you're breathing water all day long, you don't really stop and notice that that's what you're breathing. Why should you? It's just what you breathe. You breathe polluted air all day long. You don't really stop and notice it until you see the chemtrails above you, but then it's a conspiracy theory, you know? So what's the air that we've been breathing for the last 200 years? We've been breathing naturalism. We've been breathing materialism. We've been breathing rationalism. We've been breathing Darwinism. All of these things have something in common, which is that they're deeply, profoundly anti-supernatural. And so it's fine. I mean, we live in that culture. You can't escape it. But when you, when you pretend that you're not influenced by that, that's troubling. You know, we, we still sing from a hymnal in our, old, in our church. Um, most people don't do that anymore. And I'm always struck by how when you go to hymns that predate these isms of the 19th century, you find supernatural stuff all over the place in the hymns yeah. that like, it's like, well, where, where'd that, where'd that come from? We don't sing about that today. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing to say is that we, we, people just need to recognize what it is that they're breathing and just come to that realization because the first thing to fixing the problem is recognizing that there's a problem. Denial is more is, than a river in Egypt, right? <laughs> <laughs> Second thing, it goes back to your point. I just wanted to bring this up about Jasher, Enoch, uh, Jubilees. I mean, I love the pseudepigrapha. Um, I've read all 70 volume, uh, books in Charles Worth's two volume edition. I love reading that stuff. I, I tell people about it. I've had taught classes on it, but I'm a little bit troubled, uh, with what's going on right now in kind of these circles, because it's almost like people are more fascinated with Enoch and Jubilees and Jasher than they are of scripture. And, um, that is something that we should we shouldn't we shouldn't be that way. And if we come to realize, I think what you guys are talking about in this particular podcast, especially, that the scripture tells us all these things already. And those things, all they're doing is is they're filling in gaps sometimes. But Amen. Yes. Um, yeah. The scripture tells us all that we need to know. It's completely sufficient for all these things already. And when you start seeing them in the scripture, hopefully it will cause you to be drawn, like you guys were saying, more towards it and um, less to an infatuation with these other books. It's great to read them and stuff, but goodness, let's not 
mean, I can't tell you how many times in the last six months I've heard this saying that, man, the people at Nicaea, they like they chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. It's like, come on, guys. We've got the 66 books right here. You don't need anything else. This is God's holy word. Why don't you try and rest and be satisfied in it? And one thing we talk about, too, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about, it, it's not detrimental to your faith. But if you're already an established Christian and you're just looking to dig deeper and, and get some context, you know, it's all right. in you how you are pursuing this. Right. And it's just, you know, like like Mike Heiser always says, you know, like about Enoch, you know, he says, do I can consider it divine inspired? No. He says, but it something doesn't have to be div- divine inspired to be important to give you, you know, context of the writers of that time, what they were reading, what they were thinking, that way you what, can better understand their writings. Right. And, that, and that's what I think, you know, we, well, we try to do. We say that about like, you know, you think about Tertullian or you think about um, Josephus or anything like that. It's, it's the way that I always interpret that is, is, you know, I have a history book at school. I, was I at World War One? No, I was not. Do I believe it happened? Yes, I do. I don't necessarily believe everything they tell me is always the truth, but you know, <laughs> it gives you right. It gives you some historical background, and you got to take it for what it's worth. But at the same time, you know, it it if if it doesn't contradict the Bible, I'm not against looking into those things. And and, and it's not we like i said before we always go back to scripture you have to it starts with the bible it does it always starts with the bible but if we have these other historians and these other people that we look back at you know you're looking at tertullian was what um like 130 150 years after jesus right i mean he was in that right. in that range where that stuff's still fresh people are still talking about that i mean that's right there so he has some historical insights obviously it's not God inspired. And that's the whole part. I think we have to always remember is that the book in front of us, when we have the Bible in front of us, I have it right in front of me right now. When I have that in front of me, I have God's word. That's a gift that's given to us. That's the tool we have. That's our, that's the armor we put on when we're fighting these, these principalities, when we're fighting this evil that's around us in the world today, this we have it in front of us we have that gift and it's important that we always focus on that being the number one thing that's the measuring stick more well going back to uh the, the angel of the lord thing i had a question it's uh which i i believe to be kind of around this dome that we're in uh melchizedek oh yeah um you know, I just wonder, like, you know, your your opinion of it. Uh, when I read it and found it, you know, and I dug into it a little bit, I was like, well, this is another Christophany. And it talks about Christ, you know, being the returning king. Well, if he's returning, he had to be here before, kind of thinking. And it said that uh, Melchizedek was the first king and priest of Salem. And when Abraham came back uh, with Lot and all his, you know, spoils of war, he immediately, you know, gave him, you know, uh, homage and gave him, you know, the spoils. And uh, Melchizedek broke out, you know, the, the bread and the wine. And it's like he kind of knew him already. And so, I mean, is, is that, you know, Jesus? Or or do you think maybe later, like in the book of Hebrews, they were just comparing him? <laughs> So we, we actually put an appendix in our Angel of the Lord book 
uh, Appendix 5, and we did it with Michael and Melchizedek. So, because um, there's debates on both of those. Are they Christ? Are they not? My opinion is that both of them are Christ. Matt's opinion is that both of them probably are not. So what we did is we gave arguments for and arguments against. And uh, I have to say, I, I still think my arguments are better than his. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you when you go and read, we'll just talk about Melchizedek for a minute, read Hebrews, and it says things like this. Um, like Melchizedek, he continues as a priest forever. Like, what? What is that supposed to mean? Or like Melchizedek, he doesn't have genealogy or father or mother. Um, he, he, he's, he basically says Jesus is like Melchizedek because he's not a mortal man. I mean, these are really weird things. Like he's going to be, he, he's got the power of an indestructible life. Why would it keep using this kind of language over and over in one short chapter about Melchizedek um, that makes it sound like he's a supernatural entity? Well, we, we go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls and we discover that actually at the Dead Sea, there was a whole uh, little books that were written about this that were taking the view that Melchizedek was in fact a supernatural being. And they disagreed on who it was. But I believe that Hebrews is not just comparing Jesus with Melchizedek, but he's essentially saying that Jesus is Melchizedek, but he's different because in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, that's just a proper name in my in my view for the angel of the Lord. It's a proper name. It's the king of righteousness. That's all the word means. Um, he's the king in Jerusalem. So this is literally where Yahweh, second person of the Trinity, is meeting Abraham everywhere, everywhere else. Not just Jerusalem, but in Canaan, the land of Canaan. It's his land. Um, and so Jesus now is coming like Melchizedek because he's now a human. So he's not in his angelic form. He's incarnated, taken on human flesh. And now his, you know, the whole point of bringing him up there in the first place is that how can Jesus be acting as a high priest when he doesn't come from the tribe of Levi? And the answer is, well, he's coming from this strange line or genealogy of Melchizedek. Well, Melchizedek predates Levi. And in fact, in that chapter, it talks about how it's almost as if Levi was paying tithes in the bosom of Abraham. And here we have Abraham, the great, greatest man of the Old Testament, Abraham giving Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Well, who, who does the law command you to give a tenth to over and over? Yahweh. You know, so I just think for a whole number of reasons that people can go read about if they want to, that Melchizedek is, in fact, a proper name for the angel of the Lord. So he would be another example. So, like, we have this title, the angel of the Lord. Then we have words like the word. And we talk about others, too. But we also have proper names like Melchizedek or, in my view, Michael. Uh, Michael just means who is like God. It can either be a statement or a question. And when you start looking at who this character is, Michael, I come to the same kind of conclusion that this is just another title for this person that is God, that, that is covenanting with these patriarchs and leading Israel around in the wilderness and bringing them out of Egypt and um, leading them into captivity and bringing them out of captivity and everything else that goes on in the Old Testament. That's unreal because I'd never thought about I, that. When you talked about when we talk about Daniel, you know Daniel when he came and and it said that the 
that Michael had to come and um, fight the the Prince of Persia, Persia. to let that angel right. through, and then it That's talks about the allotment, like the allotment. It always it calls Michael the Prince of Israel. So when we talk about the principalities, and we talk about um, you know God kept God kept the Israelites you know, as his allotment, right? And then it still says Michael was the prince of Israel. So right there, I mean, that that's exactly right. You, you're, you're tracking perfectly. So let, let's go through this a little bit more detail for folks so they can, awesome. they can get this because I think people miss this. Miss this. In fact, I don't even know if, if Mike uh, Heiser thinks this or not. And, and I've always wondered, how can you possibly miss this? So this is in Deuteronomy 32, 7, 8, and 9. This is the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, mm -hmm. and it's important to know a couple of the words that are going on here. So, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father, he will show you, your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High, so Most High is the title in my mind for the Father. Mm -hmm. That has to be the case because at the end of the verse, it's talking about sons of God. So, only a father has sons, right? Mm-hmm. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So the Prince of Persia, the Prince of Greece in Daniel 10, mm -hmm. that's them. That's one. Those are two of the sons of God. Now, what people usually do is they stop there. But verse 9 is so important. It says, but Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Whose allotted inheritance is Israel? Yahweh. Well, which Yahweh? People go, well, what do you mean, which Yahweh? So that, you got to do a slight bunny trail here. Kind of mentioned it already. A great verse for this is Genesis 19, 24. And it says uh, that Yahweh rained fire and sulfur from Yahweh out of heaven. Like what? So all kinds of Jews and almost every church father and reformer that you could ever imagine used this verse as a proof for the father and the son. And they're both called Yahweh. So when you come back to Deuteronomy 32, 9, and it says Yahweh's portion is his people, guys, that can only be the son because fathers don't get inheritances. Sons do. Yep. Sons do. And so Yahweh's portion is his people means that, guess what? Yahweh, the son of God, inherits Israel. He, in, To put it in Daniel language, he is their prince. Mm -hmm. Well, so what it, now you come to Daniel 12, 1, and it talks about Michael, your prince, Israel's prince. Well, who else could it possibly be? Mm-hmm. And are you going to tell me that there's two princes of Israel, one uh, the uncreated God and one a created God? It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so for that reason, uh, I think that Michael is also. That just blew my mind just a little bit. Just yep. dug that, that. Were you the one talking about it? You I know. Your own well, mind? Yeah, no, well, it, it, <laughs> he led me there. It was We were on the way. Him and God together led me there. But I'll tell you, that is just amazing. That. It makes so much sense. I mean, it just, it's right in Let front me, of I'll, you. I'll, I'll take it one little step further, okay? Exodus 15, this is Moses' song, okay? When they cross the Red Sea and, and 
Pharaoh's drowned. Uh, first of all, Moses, Exodus 15, 1. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. That verse, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And then you go down just a, well, I, uh, here's a couple of verses later. Verse six, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Yep. Right hand or right arm, arm of the Lord. All these are terms for the uh, commander of the armies of the king. The commander of the armies. This is who Joshua met, the commander in Joshua chapter five. And he bows down to him and, and the commander says, you know, Joshua sees him and he goes, whose side are you on? And he goes, nobody's, but you better worship me right now. And so he takes off his sandals and it calls the place of the ground where he takes the sandals off holy. Well, what's that? That's coming straight from the um, burning bush episode with Moses, where he does the exact same thing to who? The angel of the Lord. So here we have, again, the, man, the, the Lord is a man of war, and then the right hand is glorious in power. So this is talking about Christ. He's shattering his enemies. And then you go down to verse 11. It says, who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? So there's all kinds of cool stuff going on with this verse. Who is like you is, it's not quite Michael, but it's almost exactly the name Michael. Remember I said that the word Michael means who is like God, mm -hmm. <laughs> who is like L? Well, same thing. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? So I actually think that this is an early echo of the name Michael when it says that. Wow. You go to the doing wonders part. That's a really great one because then you go to that famous verse in, um, what is it, Isaiah, um, the, the virgin birth one, uh, Isaiah 9, 6. To us, a, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder. His name shall be called, and we, we usually hear it as wonderful counselor. Well, there it is. There's the wonderful Remember, I just said in that verse, he does wonders. He's a God who works wonders. So here's the same idea, wonderful counselor. But in the old, in the Septuagint, that reads the angel of the great council. <laughs> so wonderful <laughs> becomes angel of the great. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. It's nuts. And so then it keeps going, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But my point is that there in that Song of Moses, you've got all kinds of these terms for um, the second person that people just don't even recognize um, that they're all over the Old Testament if you know what to look for. The word name is one of these. Um, I'll just do one of these real quick. This is in Isaiah. Um, what is this one? Isaiah 30, might be 27, 37. Let's see. Isaiah 30, verse 27. Listen to this one. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. Whose tongue? Not the Lord's tongue, the name's tongue. Mm. The name of the Lord. The name is the subject. 
of the Lord is the what predicates it. It's the prepositional phrase. So here we have a title for the angel of the Lord where he's called the name. So we've seen the word. You see the name. Um, we've seen the arm, the right hand. We could do this with the word glory. Happens all the time. Um, several other terms besides the angel of the Lord and besides these proper names. And the point is that um, Old Testament is speaking of this second person, um, this God. Um, uh, Jacob talks about my God, my God, the angel. Um, this person, this second person, this mediator between um, the Most High and whoever it is that the that God is speaking to. He's called by all kinds of titles, all kinds of names. They're found in every book of the Old Testament. And when you recognize it, you're just completely blown away. You know, almost every prophet, prophetic book begins with something like, and such and such a prophet, the word of the Lord came to him. Yeah, I noticed that today <laughs> looking in. Almost every one. So who is that? Well, guess who? And to reinforce that too, I've noticed with the with the whole the right hand, you know, the they refer to that, you know, it's like the the arm of action, you know, the the strong arm, and right. Jesus, to, like I guess I mean to just reinforce the idea in the reader's mind, Jesus is constantly in the New Testament depicted at the right hand of the throne, the right hand of the Father. Exactly. And especially at the ascension. So when he ascends, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. That's an Old Testament title that any Jew would have understood. In fact, that's the very thing that um, gets him killed because he's when he's on trial, and uh, he goes, "Well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see him anymore until you see the Son of Man coming on the right hand of power or whatever." He says, "Well, it's a." It's a kind of an illusion or, or a quote of Daniel 7 where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, but it's the right hand. They know full well what it means to call yourself the right hand. Mm -hmm. Over and over and over. That's exactly right. Here's a different one. This is, um, this is uh, the word wisdom. And this, the best place to see this one is probably in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. And so this is wisdom speaking. And this is what it says. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. That's begotten language, by the way. Eternally begotten language. When there no, were, were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep when he made the firm skies above when he established the fountains of the deep when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress the command when he marked out the foundations of the earth and this is the this is the great verse then i was beside him like a master workman and i was daily his delight rejoicing always before him rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man what in the world? Well, that's wisdom. And when you come to the New Testament, what you find is that the Apostle Paul says things like, um, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or you find Jesus himself saying, hey guys, Solomon was the wisest man there ever was. Now something greater than Solomon is here. 
who's Jesus claiming to be? He's claiming to be the person in Proverbs 8. He's claiming to be wisdom itself. Which I love that first chapter, one of my favorite verses, where it says, uh, wisdom cries out in the street, uh, how long, my people, will you be simple? Right. I, I love that. But uh, My mean, people, isn't that great? Because we were just talking about how Jesus is the one who covenants with them. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it, uh, the the burning bush. So, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, the angel of the Lord language and, and the word. Uh, I heard you mention on another podcast about uh, the basically the three in one with the burning bush incident and the flame. Could, could, uh-huh. you, could you go into, into that and the, the whole trinity at the burning bush? Yeah, so this is Exodus 3. Just kind of re- go through it verse by verse here. Moses was keeping his flock in it, in it, uh, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So this is Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. So stop right there. You have the angel of the Lord appearing to him in a flame of fire. You know, if you go watch Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, you don't see anything in the bush. <laughs> you just hear a voice. Um, this is the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He saw him. And the flame of fire is surrounding him. And so there are images of the Holy Spirit that are found throughout the Old Testament. Um, some of those images are fire, the pillar of fire. And inside the pillar of fire is, again, the angel of the Lord in the Exodus. Or the pillar of cloud. And uh, the angel of the Lord is found in the pillar of cloud. The cloud also descends upon the tabernacle. And again, in the temple in the days of Solomon. And the angel of the Lord is in that cloud. Um, this is the glory cloud, the Shekinah. And so those are images of the Holy Spirit. The dove is also another image of the Holy Spirit with Noah. And we know that because of the baptism of Jesus. So the Spirit has these, he's pictured in a different ways um, in the Old Testament. But the point is he's always there when Christ is there. And so here it's like the Spirit is surrounding him, um, enveloping him. And you can think of that in terms of power or purity or who knows, you know, let your mind go wild with it. Um, so Moses says, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see Moses, God called him out of the bush. Now, this is a weird one. So Mike, I believe, takes this as two people here. <laughs> and I don't know quite what to do with this. This is, this is some of the weird language that we meet whenever we start seeing more than one person coming into view in the Trinity. Um, the Lord saw that he turned aside. Who's that? Is that the Father? Is that the Spirit? Is that the Son? I don't know. I would think that it's probably either the Father or the Spirit, and most likely the Father. And then because it says God called him out of the bush, and so out of the bush, that has to be the angel of the Lord. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Don't come near. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy. And he said, who's that God? Who's that? The angel of the Lord. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
And then the Lord said, surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because they're of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. And then he goes on and then he begins to reveal his name is I am who I am in that, you know, just a couple of verses later. Who's doing this? Well, it's the angel revealing his name, but present, you have at the very least the Holy Spirit and very probably all three persons. See, that's wild. See, I, I never noticed that when I heard uh, one of your, uh, you come on to another podcast, I think I found it on YouTube, and you talked about that. That's the first time I'd ever heard that, too. Well, Doug, uh, we don't take much more time. We're coming up on our hour mark, but... Uh, we just, once again, we want to thank you for coming and, and lightening us and, and sharing your, your nuggets with us. Uh, it's just, it's awesome to sit around and just talk about this stuff. Uh, you want to tell our listeners uh, where to find your work or any kind of upcoming events? or Well, uh, I'm going to be at BlurryCon for those who got uh, tickets for it, I guess. <laughs> uh, he rubbed that then. Yeah, he? he had to. Oh, we no, wanted to go. That one is. That'll be in uh, late February, I guess. And um, let's see, for my stuff, all, all my books are on Amazon. Um, the Angel of the Lord one there is there. Uh, there's a shorter version of the Angel of the Lord that I think I called Christ in the Old Testament. And there's two versions of it. Get the newer one. The older one is just, it doesn't have as much stuff. So, um, and it's much simpler read that they both go into what we're talking about here with the angel, the name, the glory, the arm, you know, the wisdom, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the angel of the Lord is the deep dive. And um, so if people want that, they can get that book. Uh, and then also have our church website is um, www.rbcnc.com. And I plug that just because uh I've got all kinds of sermons that are up there uh, for free for PDF downloads. So people can go to that and get whatever I've preached on and, um, you know, read those in. So if you, if, if there's a passage that we've looked at here that I preached on, odds are pretty good that I dealt with it. Um, you know, I, some of these, like when I did Isaiah 20 years ago, I didn't know this stuff. So it might not be in Isaiah, but uh, most of the, especially the recent ones, the last 10, 12 years, I deal with all this stuff. So people can go and look that there. Um, yeah, I have a personal web page if anybody wants to go there, just douglasvandorn.com. Other than that, this is awesome. my stuff. This is a great talk, Doug. I really appreciate it. Not every time we get to talk to somebody new, you know, you have some differing opinions, differing ideas, but my gosh, I learned so much every time. And that's what this is all about is helping us and, and, and anybody who uh, is listening, just helping us grow our faith any way we can by digging into the Word a little further. So we appreciate your time. And I learned we, we have great minds. We, me and him were, were right on the Melchizedek. He said, the other guy had, had a good opinion, but I believe I'm right. So He was right. You were lucky. <laughs> hey, I brought it up. I, I agree with that. There you go. I was lucky. I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Like, you know I talk about giants a lot, but that's because mostly that's what other people want to talk about. This is really where my passion is, is talking about Christ because he's my savior. And um, I want people to know that he's everywhere in the scripture. It, you know, if I could make a red letter edition of the Bible, I would have every word of the Bible be read. Because mm -hmm. he spoke the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, people need to get that through their heads that he is there from Genesis to Revelation 
He did not come into existence in the womb of the Virgin. He is very God of very God. And um, the patriarchs knew him and worshiped him. And we should too. Amen. That's awesome. Well, Doug, thank you for joining us, yeah, man. Thank Hopefully, you very we much. get you back again. Yeah, you bet, guys. I appreciate Thanks for having me on your show. All right, guys, we thank you for tuning in. You guys keep digging and uh, DouglasVanDoren.com and Amazon. Get those books and start deep diving. Let's catch you next time. We thank you for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Questions, comments, or future episode ideas, we'd love to hear from you at the dig 423 at gmail.com. If you enjoy our content, don't forget to share, subscribe, and check out our Facebook group at the Dig Podcast. Remember, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You gotta dig.